Well, good morning. It is great to be back in the house of the Lord. Um, the last couple of weeks uh, we have had to miss, and first thing I would like to say is thank you so much for your prayers uh, for my health. It has been uh, it's been a lot of fun. Our Lord is sovereign, even in our pain, and uh, and I thank Him for that. Uh, I'm reminded that He works all things. And he transforms us. And many times he chooses to use pain in our lives. And uh, it can be difficult, but what a promise we have that we can trust him in that. We can trust him in whatever detail he chooses in our life. It, without that, where would we be? Um, so, uh, This morning, uh, you may notice as you look at your bulletin that we are planning to uh, read First cha- uh, the first chapter of uh, Peter's first epistle, the first through the twelfth verses. And my intention was to try to get a little bit further with this uh, than I probably will this morning. So uh, I have been given the opportunity to preach again next month. So what we will do is we will title this part one of this. And then uh, when, I, when we're together again uh, and I preach next month, then we'll do part two of this. But, uh, but again, this is uh, born again to a living hope. Uh, so this morning, if you will, uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, if you'll look with me again to 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, again, we'll be reading verses 1 through 12. And uh, I, as usual, will be reading from the ESV. And I'm trusting that it's on the screens if you don't have your copy of God's Word this morning. I remind you that this indeed is the inspired the infallible and the inerrant Word of God. And it says to us this morning, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, searched and inquired carefully, 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated when he predicted the suffering of Christ and the, subse and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. May the word of God minister to our hearts this morning. Let us pray. Our loving Heavenly Father, we bow before you this morning to uh, just to worship you, O Lord, to rejoice in you and to thank you for another opportunity that you have given us to be in your house. Oh, Father, we thank you for this time that you have uh, in eternity past carved out that we would be here to worship you and to glorify you. Oh, Father, we pray, Lord, that as we look at this word and uh, we thank you for it, we pray that you would open our hearts to it, Father, that we would receive it, Lord, and that we would have ears to hear. And, Father, we would have uh, eyes that see, Father. We pray, Lord, for the hearts of each one here that they would be opened, uh, Lord, that you might be glorified in what is uh, said, that you might be glorified in how that we respond to this word this morning. Oh, Father, we pray that you would continue to conform us so that we might, because you loved us first, love you more and more. And by that power, love one another more and more. We pray, Lord, that you would do that for us this morning. And we pray that you would give us eternal perspective, Father, that we would look upon the things that are above and not the things that are below. That we would have hearts of understanding that you are indeed working all things for your glory. And Father, we pray that we honor you in this time. And we ask this in the precious name of Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. Amen. So historians teach us that in July of 64 AD, the great fire of Rome broke out. The fire began in the merchant shops around Rome's chariot stadium, the Circus Maximus. On the night of July 19th, after six days, the fire was brought under control, and before the damage could be measured, the fire reignited and burned for another three days. In the aftermath of this fire, two-thirds of Rome had been destroyed. Most historians believe that the fires were started by the evil Emperor Nero. He had become so obsessed with rebuilding and building the city in his own image that he went to this extreme to justify his continued construction. And in order to hide the origins of the fire, Nero used this as an opportunity to rid the city of Rome of the Christians that he hated so much. He blamed the Christians, and he told the citizens of Rome that the Christians were the ones who started the blaze. The Christians that he and other citizens were unable to kill then fled as exiles and were scattered around what is now modern-day Turkey. These are the Christians to whom Peter is writing this letter that we are reading this morning. He identifies these Christians as the elect of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And Peter points to the fact that these Christians are aliens. They are strangers in a strange land. 
They are exiles who are fleeing the persecutions and of the repercussion of being falsely accused of burning Rome. Though they are not chosen of this world, they are the chosen of God. Peter is writing this to this vast crowd of many churches, reminding them <coughs> that their true home is not in any of these places, but rather it is in heaven. As God's elect, they will not and cannot identify with these cultures. They are a separate people. They are a people who are called unto God's purpose. A people called out as to bring honor and glory to their Lord, to God Himself. They are as we, a people who are to be holy. For that is what it means to be set apart. And in verse 2, we see by what power they are able to live their lives in such a manner. We see how they are empowered to be able to bring honor and glory to God. It is by the power of God who calls. It is by the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. It is by the power of the sprinkling of the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by these that they will bring honor and glory to God. Notice with me that in his salutation, Peter announces this truth to them right off the bat. He identifies them as called and as exiles to bring them to great comfort, to bring them a great hope in their time of trial and grief and persecution. He reminds them of Christ's suffering as he recalls to their minds the sprinkling of Jesus' blood. In much the same way that we read in Exodus 24 where Moses, uh, he, he threw the blood upon the people to signify their being covered by God's covenant promise to them. Being washed clean today in the blood of Christ. This is us today, washed clean by the blood of Christ. <clears throat> Peter brings them to this to the centrality of the message of the cross. To remind them of the truth that they have been purchased with a price. They have been purchased by the highest price that has ever been paid by the shed blood of our Lord and Savior. But they are a redeemed people, not of themselves, not of their works, but rather by the person and works of the one who laid down his life for them, the Lord Jesus Christ. What joy this letter must have brought to the many as they are reminded of who they are. As it should to us today remind us of who we are. But more importantly, not just who we are, but whose we are. Who we belong to. Who is our shepherd this morning. We cannot fail to miss the deep truth that Peter is reminding these people and us this morning. One of which, of course, is the truth of our election. It is of our being chosen by God in eternity past. The truth of election is probably the most despised of all doctrines. Despised not only by many in the world, but also by many who claim the name of Christ. For to tell a man that he is unable to come to Christ unless he is chosen of God rips right into the pride of all men. 
It reminds us all of our fallen condition and teaches us of our total and complete inability. For we of ourselves are completely unable to approach a just and a holy God. The God whom each and every one of us has sinned against. As King David repented before the Lord after his many sins with Bathsheba, he recognized as he poured his heart out that he had sinned against God and God alone had he sinned against. Any of our sins today, no matter how small or how great they may, might be in the eyes of men, are egregious and are an abomination before a perfect, holy, and just God. As men, we seek to suppress this truth and to exert our own human abilities to justify ourselves before God. We cry out in our hearts for justice, believing only in ourselves. In our pride and in our arrogance, we seek to define what justice should be. If we probe very far into this, all we find is that we all should be destroyed. But righteousness and justice are the foundations of God's throne. It is written in Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Praise be to God this morning that He has defined what justice is. And for God, in his, He includes in His justice the truth of electing a people a chose, that are chosen by grace to be saved by, for His divine purpose, chosen in eternity past to honor and to glorify Him. Praise be to God for the obedience of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come to this earth and to die upon a cross for my sins, for your sins, if you indeed be in Christ Jesus this morning. Can you imagine the comfort that this must have brought to God's people as He reminds them again of who they are in Christ? And shall it be the same for us this morning? Can you feel the hope this morning knowing that you are chosen by God? This hope that arises in us knowing that the three persons of the Godhead are all working together for you to be brought to glory and for you to honor and glorify your Lord and Savior. God the Son has given His life for you so that you will bring Him this honor and this glory. Can't you just see the countenance on the faces of these as they read this letter and reminded of the truth that the Creator, the Creator of all that exists, has chosen them to glorify Him. And that they are being sustained by God who loves them so much that He gave His life for them. What hope we have as we live like these men and women as exiles on this earth. Now as we turn our focus upon what should be regarded as Peter's doxology, we find it in verses 3-5. through five. He writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 
to inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In in this first phrase, Peter calls upon us today to bless God. He calls on us to praise God. He calls on us to worship God. He calls on us to rejoice in God. We today may not be presently experiencing this kind of rejection, this kind of persecution, these level of trials as these Christians did, but it remains that we are called to have the same eternal perspective. We are called to see ourselves as identified in Christ. We are called to the same posture of life. The same worship of our Lord, expecting the day of His return. The joy that it brings to us knowing that He has set His love upon us. We are called to love not the things of this world, but rather to be focused primarily upon the kingdom of God. We are called to be trusting in Him to direct each and every detail of our lives. No matter how big or how small each detail He has ordained in our lives today. Can you say that you're trusting Him in this way? Are you clinging to Him knowing that all things come from His hand? Our Lord has taught us in Matthew 6 to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Are you seeking first the kingdom of God? Is it through our worship? It is through our worship and through our adoration of our Lord that our hearts become focused upon His kingdom. It is through the Spirit's work in our hearts and our obedience to bless God that our thirst for righteousness grows more and more. It grows in our hearts and our hearts are radically transformed to respond to this grace that He has given us. But notice in this Scripture that we see that it all flows from God's great mercy. For the steadfast love of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end and they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is our God's faithfulness to us. God's great mercies are always available to whom He has chosen. And notice that it is according to His great mercy that He has caused us to be born again. As we read this language of being born again, it should remind us of our Lord's teaching when He was visited by Nicodemus in John chapter 3. We should recognize it is a message of mercy that is found for us in the Gospel. Nicodemus was a Pharisee who, like the other Pharisees, missed the mercy of God. He missed the truth of grace, and he had believed that he could enter heaven by his own righteous acts, by his own good deeds, by his obedience to the law. He believed that he would one day enter the kingdom of heaven. And the same is true today. Many men will believe this, and they will buy this lie. The gospel excludes us 
from bringing any offerings to God. That it is based upon our merit. And Jesus instructs uh, Nicodemus that he must return to square one. He teaches him that he must erase from his mind the thought that he or anyone else of their own volition can enter the kingdom. Rather, Jesus says to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus said, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, but you do not know from where it comes or where it goes. So is it with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus' words here speak the truth of God's own sovereign choice, of His effectual call that comes from His great mercy in the form of His electing grace. The truth that no man can earn, but it is indeed a gift from God. The gift of a special love that he has for his own. As Peter reminds his readers, and he reminds us today in this new birth, of their being born of the Spirit. He calls them to recognize that such a birth is a birth unto eternal life. A life beyond the trials and tribulations of this life. A life that is an abundant life. And he reminds them of the hope that they should have as they cast their gaze upon eternity. The promise of life that gives us indeed a living hope. A hope that abounds as we reflect upon our Savior and upon His own resurrection. As we know, it is by Jesus' defeat of death in His resurrection that we have this promise of eternal life. As the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that this truth, he says, it is a truth that is of first importance. And he writes that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day. Paul continues by saying, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God, but we testify about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins, then also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be pitied. But Paul concludes this thought with great hope. He concludes with the truth by saying and proclaiming that, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Praise God for this truth. This truth that we 
just like Christ, will one day be raised from the dead. The truth that our Lord proclaimed as He stumped the Sadducees by proclaiming that God is the God of the living and not of the dead. That for all who are in Him live. Look with me again at verse 5. Peter reminds us that we are going to be resurrected to an inheritance that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading, kept in heaven. This is a promise that that which we inherit is completely different from this that we will lose on this earth. For what we have in this earth, the things that we cling to on this earth, will all fade away. We will all leave them. But Peter mentions of this inheritance, his mention of this inheritance would have brought to the minds of the Jewish believers the promise that was made to them of Canaan, the promise of the promised land, the promise of the inheritance of the land that flows with milk and honey. The same promise is to us today, the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. And as Paul states it, Peter states it here, it is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is kept in heaven. As Peter in chapter 2 teaches us, he teaches us that we who are in Christ are a chosen royal priesthood. Most important as the royal priesthood, our greatest inheritance that we should note here is that we inherit God Himself. In the hearing of this letter, we should be reminded of Joshua chapter 13, in which it is noted that the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe, received no land. But as we read there, the tribe of Levi, to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel is their inheritance. Just as he said to them, we, just as the tribe of Levi, just as the Christians to whom this letter was written, shall inherit the Lord Himself. For I am His, and He is mine, bought by the precious blood of Christ. Here in the power of Christ, we all stand. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we thank You for these promises, O oh Lord. We thank You that we have the promise that just as our Savior one day we will be resurrected. Oh, Father, that we will inherit not only the new heavens and the earth, but most importantly, Father, You have chosen us to inherit You. You are Lord, and we praise You for this. Oh, Lord, we pray this morning that this truth would be realized in our hearts. And that from it we would rejoice in You and that we would honor You by praising You with our hearts lifted. May we rejoice in You, O Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.